In the name of God, who has made us and who loves us and keeps us. Amen. Please be seated. One of my friends writes math textbooks. I try not to let this come between us. I'm pretty sure I've admitted to you once before that I have carefully planned most of my adult academic and professional life around avoiding math entirely. But my friend is very good at what she does. And sometimes when we talk about her work and how engaging it is for her, I am almost inspired to forgive math for all the ways it has disappointed me especially for filling the summer after sixth grade with remedial work in finding proportions and percentages. Summer is no time for working math problems. Unless, it seems, you write math textbooks. I had forgotten until this last week that when school lets out my friend cheerfully, as though we've been looking forward to it all year, starts posting a math problem every day on her Facebook page. So here was the first one. A container holds 28 red balls, 20 green balls, 19 yellow balls, 13 orange balls, 11 white balls, and 9 purple balls. What is the minimum number of balls that must be removed from the container without replacement to guarantee that 15 balls of a single color will be removed? (laughs) So apparently there is a formula for answering a problem like this. Some things get added together, and then I think one gets added to that, if I understood it correctly, which is unlikely, so don't try it. (laughs) It's summer. No one should be doing math. Unless, it seems, you go to church. There's math in this morning's gospel reading, and it's not even Trinity Sunday yet when by some obscure, divine, reflexive, and transitive properties of equality, we will show that three and one are the same thing. (laughs) This morning, in John's Gospel, Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples, his friends, and he prays for them and for all who will come to believe in him through their word an exponential number of people that includes us. Jesus prays for all of us. And here's the math problem. He prays that they, that's all of us, that they may be one, as you and I, God, are one. I in them and you in me, that this great multitude may become completely one, that they may be completely one. Two thousand summers later, and we still haven't solved that problem. In the whole history of the church, Even around that dinner table that night where there were only 12, well, 12 minus 1, we have never been completely one. 
There are so many variables among us, among those who claim faith in Christ Jesus. Variables like what century we were born in, they in the first century, and we a little more recently. What country we were born in, the color of our skin, the language we grew up speaking, variables like access to education and health care, how we vote, who we love, whether we wear maroon and white or red and blue or black and gold, how much money we make, how much money we have, what our preference is for plain chant and Anglican hymns or praise bands and gospel choirs, our preference for worshiping at 8 or 10 or 5.15, a very important variable. Whether or not we believe that women or persons of color or people who are gay or transgender can be elected or ordained. Whether or not we like math. These and countless other variables fill up the equation of how we who are so very many could ever be completely one. Our instinct is to subtract, to divide, to reduce, to round down, to remove as many of those variables, as many people who aren't like us, as possible, insisting on uniformity until it looks like we have arrived at one. But it's really just an imaginary number with an enormous remainder. This morning, Jesus teaches us a different formula, placing himself as a constant in the midst of all of our variables. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, he prays to God, so that they may be one as we are one, so that the love which you, with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. All this time, all this time, we've been searching for unity as an answer. All this time, it has been a given. We are one because we are all of us in all our variety made by God through Christ as the poetry at the beginning of John's gospel proclaims, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people, John writes. We are one because we are all of us in all our variety, loved by God through Christ, saved by God through Christ, glorified by God through Christ. Poet Steve Garnis Holmes writes, we are one. It's not our choice. Our unity is God's doing, not ours. There is only one, one creation, one humanity, and we are all part of it, he writes, like it or not. 
We are one in Christ by God's will, and we haven't the power to be otherwise. We are one. So it's a word problem as well as a math problem. I'm much better with words. (laughs) And ironically, in the dictionary, there are numerous definitions of the word one including the definition that guides us, usually, in calculating unity. Being the same in kind or quality. But another entry defines one this way. Constituting a unified entity of two or more components. So one itself is a variable. There is a difference between exactly one and completely one. A unified entity, completely one of two or three or two thousand or three million or more gathered together by the same love of Christ, incomplete, if anyone is excluded. Another poet, Michael Coffey, writes, more words, one can be one can be the singular one or it can be arithmetically generous, a trillion divided by itself, held as a fraction. He goes on to ask Jesus in this poem prayer, this unity you pray for, is it a lockstep compliance? Or is it a complex of color differentiation, a polyrhythmic dance, a tango of entanglement, and then release? Collect us all, he prays. Collect us all in your manifold arms and let us be just what we are and find unity only in your love, which is you, he prays. So all the calculating that we've done as society, as culture, even as church, All the measuring, all the factoring, all the fitting in, all that math only serves to take us farther and farther away from completely one, fragmenting us. Completely one would be a whole number made up of everyone in our infinite variety. The math that Jesus teaches doesn't end at one. It begins with one. One creator, one savior, one spirit, one God, one love, holding it all, holding us all in community. Jesus added. He multiplied. He compounded. He included. He expanded. He increased day by day by day the number of those who were coming to understand that it was love, not sameness or righteousness, not power, not perfection, not politics, not appearance, not doctrine, but love that makes us completely one. The love God has for us 
the love Jesus taught us, the spirit of love that in next week's gospel reading will fill all of us on the great feast of Pentecost. That constant fundamentally changes the formula by which we become community. There is only one, and we are all part of it, like it or not, that first poet I shared with you concludes. Our choice, he writes, is to honor or dishonor the people who are part of ourselves. We needn't worship together, vote alike, agree or strive in parallel. We may oppose each other, but we do so, he writes, as equals, as one as one joined in the flesh of creation, in the oneness of spirit. Our textbook is Jesus Christ, himself the completeness of God and humanity, teaching us not how to be one, but that in him we are already one. And that The love that makes us one, that constant, has real implications for how we are called and can choose to live and move and speak and act in divisive times, such as those in which we find ourselves. Now, admittedly, this is much harder math, even for me, than proportions or percentages or any of the problems that my friend posts. And so Jesus himself prays for us. In this morning's gospel reading, he prays for us and for the world to which we are sent, which is to say the world in which we are called to live and move and speak and act as Christ did in love. Math and prayer have always and of necessity pretty much gone hand in hand for me. But perhaps prayer is all the more appropriate in these difficult attempts at equations that include such constants as holy compassion and forgiveness and mercy and justice and such variables as human disagreement and fear and anger and self-righteousness. Perhaps if we pray with and for one another and for all people all, if we practice love as a constant in every interaction, if we understand that first we are completely one, perhaps we will one day find other kinds of unity arising in the midst of our diversity. For now, It is enough to just keep love in the equation. But it's summer. No one should be doing math. Instead, a few last words from one last poet. We are one in the spirit 
We are one in the Lord, and we pray that our unity may one day be restored. We will work side by side. We will walk hand in hand, and together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Amen.